Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. COVID-19 and drug-resistant bacterial infections. Drug-resistant bacteria spreads through hospitals and can be an unforeseen issue during hospital stays. Infectious disease specialists and hospital physicians work diligently to create policies that prevent the spread of drug-resistant bacteria. Drug-resistant bacteria and superbugs evolve over time, and the bacteria that learn to evade treatment survive and pass along genetic superiority. It has been shown that unnecessary prescriptions of antibiotics given to humans and animals, as well as unfinished courses of antibiotics, also contribute to this development. These bacteria and superbugs are extremely dangerous and have always been an issue in hospitals. Each year, these infections claim more than 700,000 lives. Health experts warn that without an effort to control this issue, it will increase dramatically over the next 30 years, potentially presenting a death toll of 10 million by 2050. These types of infections surged during the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2020, nearly 30,000 people died from drug-resistant infections. To put this in context, there was a 15% increase in drug-resistant bacteria infections from 2019 to 2020. 15% increase in drug resistance. A lot. This surge reversed the progress that had been made in reducing these types of infection from years prior. Health officials believe this increase was tied to the high volume and stress in hospitals as healthcare teams were busy trying to treat waves of patients ill with COVID-19. In addition, intensive care units were filled with patients on ventilators for weeks at a time increasing the risk of infection. The bacteria could easily reach patients from contact, but also with catheters, tubes from ventilators, and intravenous lines. Other reasons like the lack of PPE for medical staff, unnecessary administration of antibiotics for respiratory illnesses in the early days of the pandemic before COVID was more identifiable, staff shortages and early workload on infection control specialists also propelled infections. These increases are very alarming, and this issue cannot get out of hand. Practices that limit the spread of infections in the hospital should be our top priority of our health officials and hospital administrators. Speaking personally, I used to be a hospital epidemiologist early in my career, and I cannot emphasize more how important it is for us to consider to only take antibiotics when they're 100% necessary. Please don't force your pediatrician or doctor to give you antibiotics if you don't need, especially if you have an upper respiratory infection. Also, pharmaceuticals are not making antibiotics. They focus on using drugs that people are going to take for the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. not for a couple of days. So this could be potentially problematic. Lastly, we need to take antibiotics out of food feed. Right now, we still keep antibiotics in food feed, which creates resistance that is passed through animals into humans. And until we get rid of those antibiotics, we're going to still see these sorts of problems. So mm-hmm. it's a dire situation with dire consequences.
Infants can safely be treated for peanut allergies. Recent research by the University of British Columbia reported that treating peanut allergies by oral immunotherapy is much safer and more effective for infants under one year old. This treatment was formally administered to preschool-aged children. Oral immunotherapy is conducted by introducing the allergenic food, such as peanut flour, in small doses and slowly increasing the amount to a full dose without creating a trigger. Basically, it helps the immune system unlearn the allergic reaction. With this process, it's recommended that parents continue to give children peanut products occasionally to provide long-term immunity. The study, published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, investigated 69 infants out of 452 children under five years old. After a follow-up of 42 infants from the initial 69, they found that those children had none to very mild reaction to a 4,000 milligram dose of peanut protein compared to almost 8% of the children aged one to five years old. One interesting fact is that 30% of infants had a very mild reaction in the initial testing compared to 50% of children aged one to five, according to the clinical doctor of the research. That being said, the author of the study says that it's still safer to have oral immunotherapy for under fives than it is for school-aged children. To prevent peanut allergies, introduce peanut butter or peanut flour to the child at about six months. If they develop a reaction, oral immunotherapy is an effective method to help avoid peanut allergies. Be sure to talk to your pediatrician before trying this method. Study finds chronic traumatic encephalopathy to be rare in war veterans. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy is a brain condition that occurs as a result of repeated brain injuries. People who have chronic traumatic encephalopathy, what we can refer to now as CTE, suffer from symptoms like memory loss, poor impulse control, aggression, depression, anxiety, suicidality, Parkinsonism symptoms, and eventually dementia. CTE is a progressive condition and can only be truly diagnosed after death upon examination and dissection of the human brain. CTE is commonly seen in football players and boxers. These athletes are at a far, far higher risk for CTE than the rest of the population due to the repeated blows to the head they sustain during games, matches, practice, and training. One recent study identified that 87% of NFL players' brains examined had CTE. Wow, 87%. Well, of the brains that were examined, right. 87% of them. Although it wouldn't surprise me if 87% of NFL players also had CTE. Right. It is such a brutal, such a brutal sport. Yep. So it doesn't surprise me. So a new study from the New England Journal of Medicine examined the rates of CTE in veterans. Surprisingly, despite their high risk of brain injuries, the rates of CTE in veterans was relatively low. Of the 225 brains examined, fewer than 5% were identified as having CTE. The researchers filtered for veterans who had experienced large blasts from being in the vicinity of a bomb detonation. From the 45 people who qualified, there was a 6.7% incident rate of CTE. This sample is very small, but indicates that CTE is far less common than some expected in veterans. Many of the symptoms veterans suffer from overlap with the symptoms of CTE. Doctors are curious to determine if PTSD and suicide in veterans is connected to CTE from brain injuries. One factor of the study 
was that most of the brains examined were from younger people, and it's possible that CTE could potentially become more apparent in later life. Learning more about the impacts of bomb blasts and other war-related injuries is extremely important for treating veterans. While it seems that bomb blasts do not affect the brain the same way that sports injuries do, this should be studied in further detail to truly understand the overall effects on the brain. This story is just sad to me overall. Yeah, I, I think if anything, it, I think what it says to me is that it's repeated blows to the head mm-hmm. as opposed to one or two, you know, like ha- being around where a bomb blast may be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you boxers and, and football players, just those repeated blows to the head are ultimately what I think causes the risk for CTE. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast, follow us on social media, and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Hickerson, at hopehickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D-R-D-E-R-Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefiltershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your health care providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right.